a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Well, my friends, we're back. The stars have aligned. Welcome in. Look at that. Hello. What are y'all drinking today? Uh, I'm drinking an iced coffee today. I made myself an AeroPress when I got home. For any coffee nerds out there, Stephen, I think you're kind of coffee nerdy. Emily, I actually don't know if you're coffee nerdy. I am getting there. I mean, I sell some for no normal people, so oh, yeah, I kind of need to know how to do these things well. Well, I'm drinking a coffee from Burundi, the country, which it's not really a rare coffee, but it's just not super popular. Right. It's not an Ethiopian Mm. or a Kenyan or something. Mm -hmm. You know, the big names in coffee origins. Which is a shame because it's delicious. It's very light, refreshing, and it's uh, very tasty on this very warm day. Ah, most excellent. Emily, yourself. I'm drinking a nice tall glass of pineapple guava juice. Oh. Oh, whoa. It's great. It's so good. I've been craving pineapple a lot lately, mm. which I'm kind of nervous about because that can speed up contractions. So I don't want to really labor. Yes. And I, I but it's just so yummy. So I'm very cautious. I heard the but... same about grapefruit juice recently. Do you know this one as well? Yes. Yeah. And raspberry tea also. What? OK. That one feels yeah. like an outlier. Fruit is wild. Fruit is wild. Fruit is wild. Strawberries being aphrodisiacs, man. It's goofy. <laughs> I am drinking a uh, a lovely glass of white wine today. Ooh. As bougie and as nerdy as I am trying to be about coffee and as I can get about beer and whiskey, I know nothing about wine. But a, a couple delightful friends got me a bottle of wine for my housewarming this last week and it was it's delightful. I'm in I'm very oh, into how it. Nice. So I I I joke at the beginning that the stars align. It seems like we just kind of had a day to get up to this recording time. Emily, we're recording on Pentecost Sunday. Yes. Easter is now officially done. Easter time is close. Is it now yes. ordinary time? Yes. Do you know, are you going to be following the lectionary for ordinary time or are you going into something on your own? I think for the time being, I'm going to stick with the lectionary. You have enough it's to prep good. for. like I have enough to prep coming for. Coming a child yeah. and stuff. Yeah, and Josh, exactly. Josh, your day today was crazy at work. We almost missed this recording time. Yeah, that is true. Uh, we're getting pretty busy in Pike Place, so, and I'm taking on more responsibility at work, so we are pretty busy. Very nice. Congratulations, <laughs> I have my lots friend. of things to stay on top of. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Well done. I personally, I woke up in Helena, Montana this morning and drove back. Um, and just so you guys know, it's a it's a delightful 65 degrees and sunny in Billings, but it was 30 degrees and snowing in Helena this morning. Ah, <laughs> uh, typical. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's weird. Well, so I make a joke about the stars aligning um, because I'm kind of ready to talk about fate and determinism with you two. Ooh. Oh, 
as in, well, I guess there are a few ways to, we can come at this either in a, like a purely philosophical discussion, or we can inject the theology and talk about what it means if God created a universe that is predetermined in any way. And I don't really... I like that we're opening this can of worms now. I can't believe it's taken us this long. Yes. yes. Like the podcast, <laughs> if we count episodes as years, the podcast is now older than Jesus. And I'm amazed that it took us this long <laughs> to get to the discussion about free will. <laughs> well, luckily, no one in their right mind would count episodes as years. So... <laughs> That's true. Okay. Unless, unless you release an episode once a year. <laughs> That's a long play. That's a long play yeah, career right there. Um, yeah, I just, I've been kind of stewing on this for a while. I have been listening to, uh, he's, he's typically branded as one of the new atheist guys, but I've been listening to, listening to Sam Harris and his thoughts on determinism from more of like an, an atheistic, like almost pure mechanics view of determinism. And I've also been reading a book called God of the Possible by Greg Boyd. And the next one on my shelf that I'm going to be cracking into is God Can't by Thomas Ord. So, like, I have these two voices in my head. One where I can very much see, like, a pure mechanical determinism being the way the universe operates. But I find that I can't square determinism with my view of God. Mm. So that's that's kind of where... I want to start. What Even are, though you're Christian universalist? Yeah. Isn't that weird? Huh? Fascinating. <laughs> I am both open theist and Christian universalist, I suppose. I think I've said Is that. Is that allowed? Is it allowed? <laughs> I don't know. Do you not like, do you see any conflict there? Because frankly, I think what keeps me from being Christian universalist, despite my unique beliefs about the afterlife, is that the Christian universalism- That it doesn't is, exist. Yes. Yeah. That it doesn't exist. Right. But other than that, I think what really turns me off from the idea of Christian universalism is just how predetermining it feels. Mm. Like, to me, it doesn't feel like there's any room for God respecting our choice or autonomy. That's fair. The way I've heard that framed by, oh, I believe it was Bradley Jerzak. I heard him on a podcast once explain that paradox, or, or at least try and theologize about that paradox and... Basically, he has an idea that we, we are still allowed a free choice to follow God and to choose God's way of life, even in what we might call an afterlife, and that basically God will wait as long as it takes, but that in, in the light of glory and like overwhelming Christ-like love, that we would in some way or another make that choice ourselves. Mm. I know that's really like parsing the language, but that's the way I'm comfortable framing that. It almost has an air of irresistible grace to it. I don't actually know if any Christian Ooh. universalist uses that language from Calvinism, but it feels like that to me. I think that's a great I, yeah. way to say it. I would agree. Yeah. So I where s- is your mind at with like trying to balance the Sam Harris ideas with like Greg Boyd and Tom Ord? Like where... Where are you kind of falling? Or like what questions is it raising for you? Because like you've already kind of thought about open theism and been attracted to it for a while mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. It's like what, what is new that's coming up for you? Well, what's new is that I it finally clicked with me why someone who does not believe in deity 
would believe in determinism. Like the way Sam Harris explains a pure mechanical determinism to the universe. Honestly, Mm -hmm. it makes a lot more sense to me than simply like a God who is sovereign and predestines history, like past, present and future. And just like writes the story. Oh, because he can actually explain some of the mechanics of the universe. Yeah, I mean, like there, there are quite a mm. few, um, I don't know, uh, like quantum physics stuff that kind of factors into his argument. But I, okay, so I guess to add even another layer of complexity is, if the world is predetermined from start to finish, and that w- maybe we have a sense of free will, but we aren't actually acting within free will, I think. We also, you know, start straying into theodicy territory where now I'm bothered by oh, yeah. a predetermined world with what even I can see is so much evil. And to be honest, part of me is like, I don't want to worship a God that would predestine this kind of evil. Mm-hmm. Right? right. Right. Like classic problem of suffering. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that's why it's like. I see determinism from an atheistic point of view, but I think if a God, if I am truly to believe that God kicks off the universe in some meaningful way, I think God does leave us agency and does leave us free will and wouldn't constrain us to a predetermined existence. But Mm -hmm. that's enough of me. So Emily, you and I talked once and I think it ended up being like episode two here on Ravel. It was like embedded in our no normal people interview. You and I talked about a distinction between free will and did you call it free choice? Yes. Would you give me the primer on that again? Because I the details are hazy. Yeah. So free will presumes that we have the ability to make some kind of choice and the ability to to act on that choice. Whereas. Free choice just presumes the existence of choices, but free will is actually the ability to make the choices. Give us an example. Oh, let's see. Um, Like I have the free will to eat a banana, but I do not have the free choice to become a banana. Okay, so like here's... (laughs) So here, like we... You did not choose where or when or to whom you were going to be born, right? Right. Unless you're Mormon, but yes. But you did have a choice. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> hey. But you did have a choice as to whether or not you moved away from family, or if you still interact with your family, if you moved away from your home. And you have the choice. So like another example would be you did choose to go to college, but maybe they did not accept you. You did choose where you would like to work, but they maybe did not want to hire you. So, And these are examples of free choice. Like you're choosing something, but you almost need to be chosen back. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. And oh. yeah. So our, our choice can only be made as long as that choice is in our control. So free will just presumes that the ability to make some kind of choice is there. And we have the ability to act on that choice. But free choice just... Like it assumes that we have the existence of choices, but we don't have to. They don't necessarily mean that we have the ability to act on them. I see the distinction between free will and free choice, and I do like 
the distinction because I think it helps separate out some variables. But for some reason, I just don't love the phrasing of free choice because I just see like so many variables influencing our decision making. Like whether you want to talk about a documentary like The Social Dilemma, like in social Mm -hmm. media's impact on our decision processes, or even just like the fact that people in different societies and cultures will like make decisions differently, let alone come to different conclusions about what to do. Mm -hmm. Sure. I don't know. I feel that tension there in not wanting to use the language of free choice, but I, I can appreciate the distinction between free will and free choice, I suppose. And I guess that would be just the, the next best label that we have. And there may be a better word to describe it, but for right now with limited understanding as far as free will and free choice if we're really looking at the scope of things maybe this is just the best label that we have at the time sure steven i'm glad you brought this up today because i have written down in my questions to like bring up sometime which i thought about doing it today but i'm glad you brought it up i'm curious whether or not god respects our autonomy as individuals Mm. So that kind of pairs well with my what was going to be my next question, which was, if we have free will, does that necessarily negate the idea of God's sovereignty? I mm. I think it depends on who you ask. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it certainly does, but I'm asking you to. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's no one else, so I, yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah. Have you ever heard of Molinism? No, no. Emily, have you? It's not ring. It's not ringing a bell off the top of my head, but I'm sure once you start describing it, I'll be like, "Oh yeah." Okay, so it's distinct from Calvinism, and maybe we should just start there. Maybe we should like start with a couple like defining things. Okay, mm, sure. I like that. Um, That's okay, important. So I heard a friend explain this to me a couple years back, and it's it's obviously very distilled. Emily, please correct me if I'm wrong, because I think that you probably know more about these than I do. But for analogy's sake, I think this works really well. There's like the two distinct camps that God does know the future and God does not know all there is about the future, which Mm -hmm. is pretty much just like open and relational theology. Uh, And then under God knows the future, there's Calvinism and Arminianism. And Calvinists tend to believe that God knows the future because God causes the future. There's like a, Mm -hmm. there's like an effect element there versus the Arminian counterpoint is that God doesn't necessarily cause the future just because God knows the future. Like God mm-hmm. might cause some things to happen, but that God knowing that something will happen doesn't mean God causes it to happen. Yeah. Okay. So then under the umbrella of God doesn't know all that the future holds, that pretty much describes like open and relational theology as I understand it. Mm-hmm. And then there's this thing called Molinism, which doesn't fit that binary very well. It was first, oh man, I'm going to butcher the guy's name. Alfred Molina, I think, was the guy's name originally, but then it was propagated by Alvin Plantinga, and then more recently by William Lane Craig. Wow. So if any of those names ring a bell. Mm. It's basically the idea that God knows all future contingencies, like all future possibilities, like if this, then that, if this, then that. Mm -hmm. So God knows like anything that could happen. And therefore, it's like kind of like this logical syllogism. Like, therefore, God knows every possible way that somebody will come to God. 
Like if there's a possibility that a person will come to God under a certain circumstance, God knows what circumstance it is that will lead them to him. Hmm. So therefore, they conclude that God then creates the actual world because God knows all possible worlds. God creates the actual world in which the maximum amount of people come to God. Hmm. Wow. And I was really attracted to that idea for a while because it seems to be like a balance of God is somehow in control and is causal as a being, but also somehow respects our autonomy as conscious beings. Well, so you said you were attracted for a while. What are you still or has that changed? I'm. I guess I'm open to possibilities, <laughs> but I'm not like <laughs> as gung ho about it as I used to be. Sure. I guess. Emily, what do you make of all of this? There's like so many different things that we could talk about here, but like as someone who's gone to seminary mm. and someone who is still in a pastoral position. Yeah. Like where where do you even start or where where have you ended up? I think one of the first things that come to mind is we are engaged and not that it's bad and it's not even that it's bad or good because, you know, I don't like using those words. Um, <laughs> we, we are entering into a territory where we are trying to make sense of God by speaking for God, if that makes sense. So we are trying to grapple with a situation with an idea and we are trying to put ourselves into God's shoes and to say, well, this makes sense or this doesn't make sense. And that's just the way that we make sense of the world. We we literally try to put ourselves in other people's shoes, hopefully, mm. um, to get a different perspective. And I think this is one of those situations where we are truly limited on understanding. Like we as humans have a very limited understanding of God's sovereignty, of predestination. Like we just, we have nowhere to really go except for a hundred different directions. And that's what I really love about this conversation is because I can guarantee you by the end of this, we're not going to have an answer. <laughs> oh, certainly. <laughs> well, not. that's and, how I already feel. And yeah, and Stephen's just going to be like, well, I guess we'll have this conversation again someday. And it's like, yes, we need to have this conversation again one day. Like, we can't wrap it all up in a bow. Um, we just have to explore each of our own understandings and make sense of it and see what we get from it, what we don't get from it, what new questions arise. Um, because there's so much unknown that how can we possibly have a concrete answer? There's no way. We would, if we at the end of this have a concrete answer, we would be famous. We would be renowned theologians that would go down in history as the first people to have a concrete 100% figured out answer about God. Well, also, if we had a anything. concrete answer about God, it wouldn't be called faith, right? Oh, boom, bike drop. That was good, Josh. This that was good. I am so comfortable not knowing and continuing to not know about this issue. Like I read that Four Views on Sovereignty book mm -hmm. um, by InterVarsity that was mm -hmm. that had William Lane Craig, Greg Boyd, and then like two other contributing authors that all responded to each other. I actually yeah. made it through. It was like a tough read. I feel like I'd know next to nothing now. <laughs> like I feel like I know even less. 
Oh, don't and, you love books like that? Oh, I do love books like that. Like it's very challenging to me. Mm-hmm. But I I still feel very comfortable not knowing how to solve it. Like I was really really intrigued by the ideas of free will and trying to solve it with predeterminism because I do think it's a fascinating thing to think about whether you're an atheist or you're religious because mm-hmm. obviously lots of people are interested in it. But like at the end of the day, I feel like God is somehow like if I'm going to believe in God, God is somehow causal in a way that I cannot comprehend. And I am somehow causal in my everyday experience in a way that I cannot comprehend. And I do not feel controlled. Mm, And I mm -hmm. am completely accepting of the fact that that I can just not, in my limited understanding, reconcile those two experiences. Mm. That's how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I like that. When Sam Harris talks about determinism, he he does use a lot of this language of you like we didn't uh, choose the parents we were born to. They didn't choose the parents they were born to. We didn't choose like where we grew up, how we grew up, all these things. Like a lot of things are acted on us from the outside. And if we take a view that's maybe overly simplistic, but a view that these are all forces that are essentially like shaping the trajectory and momentum of our lives. Mm-hmm. Basically, the atheist, his argument is just, he just doesn't see how we would have any power to like change our trajectory without an outside force acting upon us. And in that sense, you know, we're, we're just bouncing around basically conditioned by where we grew up, how we grew up, who we grew up with, time, place. Does Sam Harris talk at all about the distinction between predictability and predeterminism? Oh, interesting. Not to my memory. That doesn't mean he doesn't talk about it. It's just I don't remember if he does. Because mm. like lots of things are predictable, but that doesn't mean they're predetermined or caused by a single thing. Oh. Right. That's like a we very can predict the weather. We don't control the weather. And predictions are limited. You know, yeah, so like like yeah. the we- like the weather. You know what I mean? The weather, we we can have a sense of what's going to happen, but there are so many other factors that could impact that, especially with how our world is today <laughs> and climate and whatnot. But mm. it, it even predictions are limited. Mm. Yeah, but like some things are really, really good. Like I, some people I can predict like which days they're going to come into the coffee shop or I can predict their order because I know what they order. But like my observation of predictability does not mean that I have I have any causal impact or that anything else has any causal impact other than the thing that I am observing causing itself. Mm. Mm, true. Unless your observation is biased and we then have assumptions. Oh, that yeah, are in, totally. That are influencing that predict that prediction. And that's where I think we have to be careful because, you know, the you know, the the saying about assuming anything in life. So it makes an ass out of you and me. I mean, there's a reason that it's that exists. <laughs> Classic. As far okay. for the record, I think we can say ass on the show because that one's in the Bible. Right. Right. And Balaam's okay. no, his ass. Exactly. That's my <laughs> favorite. That's my life first. Yay. It's going to be a tattoo on my wrist one day. <laughs> <laughs> I love. Now, wait, this is important. Would it be facing you or facing others to read? Oh, me. I just, you know, okay. when you read that sentence with that tone of voice, it's like, obviously, God is funny, right? <laughs> okay. 
for real though, that would be the funniest tramp stamp. And Balaam smote his ass. Oh <laughs> my. I can't believe I've never thought of that. You too. Oh my goodness. And then you'd <laughs> I got I him. Know what to say. I got him good. I don't even know what to say. And like traditional. I'm glad Steven thought that was as funny as I did. Like graffiti lettering or something. <laughs> Okay, so this is a great example, though, because I've had this idea before, and (laughs) I'm sure other people have. Sorry. Hold on. I'm just imagining imagining that text along with, like, the verse reference, and then it just, like, KJV. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because KJV only. You broke him, Josh. That is ugh, that's um, so funny. Do you funny. think it would be better if it was like like traditional tramp stamp or like on the cheeks? <laughs> oh, oh. oh. Well, I mean like mm, I know. more likely to be seen if it's a traditional tramp stamp, right? Oh, that's true. Yes. You know? Yeah. You want to share the love with that one. <laughs> Plus, if we're going to do KJV, you have to go trad. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course. Like the- what are those there's no other yeah. way what are those called like in in old books where like the first letter of the first word of the first sentence in the chapter is like hu- like embossed oh. and just huge yes that's what i want i want that like that style lettering all the <laughs> way across my lower back I love oh my it. gosh that's funny <laughs> okay josh now what i'm were glad you that saying? that got you so good um so this brings me to an example of like, I think that some ideas, if not all ideas, are just inevitable. Like, it's kind mm. of inevitable that, like, <laughs> I would make the joke that you would get the verse about Balaam's ass tattooed on your ass. Mm-hmm. Like, surely I'm not the yeah. first, first person to think of that, but that's just like a connection to be made. Right. Sure. Right. And so on some level, I honestly kind of think that s- most ideas are pretty much inevitable. I would can agree. we think of it? Can we think of it in in like terms of percentage? Are we allowed to do that? Like, is is like eighty percent of our oh. life kind of set up and predetermined in a way, or predictable, or inevitable? I mean, we, I honestly kind of believe hundred percent. I was gonna say, how could we possibly come with a ball? Like, it's either got to be a hundred or zero. I just don't see how it could be. Mm. I really don't see how it could be anything other than it just seems weird to try to quantify because each of our lives are so different. So are we saying like my life would be like 80 percent inevitable, whereas yours could be like 92? Like, how, how do we possibly do that? Or do we only operate with maybe we feel a sense of free will because we have like 2 percent free will and the rest of our life is just basically set up just inevitable based on. You know all the predetermining factors we've we've discussed because that's kind of Sam Harris's argument. He he agrees with you, Emily, for sure. Like it's either zero or a hundred, and the fact that no model of physics can really introduce like a randomness effect, mm. like because randomness doesn't appear to actually exist. That's one of his like crux arguments for lack of free will is like none of us truly can act in any random way unless you're listening to a podcaster say act randomly in which case did you really choose to act randomly or were you influenced and predetermined to do so 
based on what you assume the word mm. random means, you know, like now can random goes, happen to you? See, mm, I don't think so, actually. So, like, is it predetermined that I would stub my toe this morning or could it just happen? The totality of your life led to a moment in which maybe you were a little bleary eyed because you didn't sleep enough. You know, like you were trying to sleep with heartburn and you didn't sleep well. So your eyes are a little blurry when you get up. And even though you've walked but the same path. But that happens every morning. I don't stub my toe every morning. Well, yeah, but you have a coffee table. So like the likelihood of you stubbing your toe Increases. goes up infinitely yes. versus you not having a coffee table. <laughs> so in that way, it's inevitable that it's going to happen. But you can stub your toe on anything. You don't even have to have a coffee table to stub your toe. I've stubbed my toe on the bed. I've stubbed my toe on the chair. I've stubbed my toe on a table. Like I could, like I could trip on a sidewalk, and there doesn't have to be a crack or a pebble or anything. I could just trip. So, so do you like think what? that's truly random, though, or that enough? Yeah. Like causal. Well, then no, what do you? I, well, then do is zero percent of our life predetermined? Then because if we're gonna stick to zero or a hundred, and you think there I'm is gonna, randomness, I'm gonna say zero. Okay, I'm, I'm that's in consistent. the zero camp right now. That's consistent. I'll give it to you. <laughs> I'm in the zero camp. <laughs> zero camp. Literally Steven, everything is free will. As you being an open theist, are you like fifty fifty here? Maybe. Oh. I might even. I might even. Oh yeah. No, that's a good question. I've never actually put numbers to where like my own assumptions lie. Because I've heard Greg Boyd talk about well, and Thomas Ord too. I've heard them talk about open theism, and. From what I've gathered, I doubt that most open theists believe that God doesn't know anything about the future. Like, I've heard both of them describe, like, God probably knows, like, lots of things about the future. Right. But there's also probably lots he doesn't know. And maybe there are some things that are predetermined, like God, like, if God has a plan for something and, like, wants a certain thing to happen, certainly God can create a world in which that thing happens. Mm. Right. But maybe... You know, like it's it's more of a question of possibilities that almost lead to the same destination, but there are you know infinite diverging paths to get there. Um, mm. like the way I've the way I've been puzzling over is you know like say Dixie and I want to take a trip to Chicago. Like there are so many ways we could choose to get there. I could choose to walk and take weeks. I could choose to take a road trip and drive directly. But I could go to Texas first or, you know, like I could drive up to Glasgow, hop on an Amtrak train and go to downtown Chicago from a train or I could fly. Like there are multiple paths to get me to Chicago. And that's that's almost the way I view things, because I guess that's the best way to frame why I'm Christian universalist and open and relational is that. I think God in the end will find a way to culminate in the same place in that all will be saved and he will gather everyone under his headship and into the kingdom of God. Everyone. And I mean everyone. But there are like there are infinite paths to get everyone there, I guess. Which sounds really dangerous for like questions of salvation. It's like all roads lead to God, right? Well, but to be honest, your combined ish view of like open theism applied to Christian universalism. Mm-hmm still reminds me of Molinism, like the idea that God mm-hmm. knows all possibilities. That's really interesting. I'm going to have to study Molinism some more because I, I like what it's laying down. William Lane Craig is the person to look up. He's uh, the most 
prolific mm -hmm. uh, living proponent of Molinism. We're gonna take a quick break to say a few thank yous, then we'll be back to our conversation. Thank you to our generous patrons for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Y'all are such a huge encouragement to us. If you'd like to support future episodes of Ravel, visit patreon.com slash ravelpod or by tapping the link in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who is giving five-star ratings and thoughtful reviews on Apple Podcasts and to everyone who contributes to our weekly discussions at RavelPod on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, much love to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color. And thank you to the Highline Media Network for having us as one of their founding podcasts. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, No Normal People. Know that them. works is dead and well, you'll that, know them right. by their fruits you'll know them by their fruits <laughs> come on and, and none of this is to say that like i self-actualized and and i'm the only true this isn't a no true scotsman fallacy <laughs> no, this yeah. is just like this isn't me saying i'm in and anybody else is out i'm just saying like i had a, i i really internalized what i thought the teachings of jesus were and wow. reluctantly uh, I, when they were forced upon me chose to do it in a way that had an impact on my life. And now back to the conversation. I like the way you broke down this, like this hierarchy tree. You know, we have the two options. God knows the future. God doesn't. And under does know we have Calvin, Calvinism and Arminianism and under doesn't know open relational and Molinism kind of, but kind of yeah. like a circle around them all, I guess. Where does, okay, Josh, you, you mentioned in our uh, text chat a while ago that you've been puzzling around with process theology, and I have no idea where that lands, or even if this lands in the same conversation, but you brought it up after I mentioned open and relational theology, so do you know where it fits? I believe, from what I've listened to, I believe that process philosophy applied to theology falls under open and relational theology. Um, the majority of Things I've listened to are from Trip Fuller from Homebrewed Christianity. Right. Um, I've also heard Thomas Ord talk about it a little bit, but mm -hmm. to be honest, I don't know that much about it. I haven't read up on anything. From what I understand, it boils down to God is in process with us. Like a maturity question? Mm, I think. I think maybe. I guess possibly. that's the way I hear that, but that could yeah, be totally something off. like that. But they, I think that that's why it gets tied together with like relational. Theology. I think that's why we often hear open slash relational theology. Because for a while, I only heard the term mm -hmm. open theism. Sure. And I didn't hear too many people tie in like, quote unquote, relational theology. Right. Did I get that right, Emily? Yeah. From my understanding, process theology is, it's not unilateral, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like the more I learn about process thought, the more I think that a lot of Christians are secretly, unknowingly, process theologians because they <laughs> pray mm -hmm. to god with a relationship to god they seek a relationship with jesus personally and expect there to be a two-way street yeah much like i liked your examples earlier emily kind of like uh an employer and employee is a two-way street like your employer can choose to not choose you and fire mm -hmm. you or not hire you in the first place but like a good relationship is actually a two-way street and i think right. that a lot of christians actually have that view but they don't know that they have that view. Right, because 
this is also one thing that stands out. One general theme with process theology is God is not omnipotent in the sense of being coercive. Rather, the divine has a power of being persuasive, but not coerced. So, like, God doesn't force us to, but it's more of a persuasion. Um, Ooh. And it's it's yeah. one that, in the causal sense, means that God does not exert a unilateral control over our lives. I like that. That's a lot better way of saying what I've been <laughs> fumbling through this whole episode about. Even in the paradigm of Christian universalism, like, the choice still exists and that Mm-hmm. eventually the choice just seems so attractive and so persuasive and God just simply allows us enough time to get there on our own. Yeah. God just influences that. exactly by offering possibilities. And so rather than having this be a complete and utter control, it's more characterized by process. Like the word process itself is why it's in the title. And change that's carried out by agents of free will. Mm. Can God create a human so autonomous that even he can't control him? Oh, my God. <laughs> Far Kind of like that. <laughs> okay, so, but, like, with the whole, like, persuasion-coercion distinction, off the top of my head, I don't know if any Calvinist would disagree with that. Wouldn't they say that God is also not doing those things? Like, not coercing? Coercing? Like, wouldn't they say, like, God's grace is irresistible and God's grace is what persuades you and God chooses to not do that to some people? You, I, in my mind, I've never understood how limited atonement and irresistible grace can live together in the same tulip. Mm. Because basically the limited atonement implies that it's irresistible to the elect, mm-hmm. right? And factually resistible to the reprobate. I'm sorry. Can you break that down again? Well, I always get so like lost in the words sometimes. <laughs> sorry. And maybe I'm adding words that don't need to be there, but limited atonement is the idea that there is an elect group of Christians that will one day live in eternity with God in heaven and the new earth. Right. Which is usually used solely by reformed theologians. Correct. And in my mind, if you if you want to believe in a universe where only limited atonement is accomplished, then all they're trying to describe in irresistible grace is that it was irresistible from the people that were chosen from the before the foundations right. of time to be the elect. It's irresistible to the elect, but then the the reprobate but that's or it. like yeah, the, the non elect, the people destined for weeping and gnashing of teeth in the fires of hell. They can resist it, and they do. So does that mean that, like, even if you're Reformed slash Calvinist, you can still believe that God respects people's autonomy because some people do resist? Or, or like, God chooses to not make God's self so known that it's irresistible to you because you're reprobate? That's the way I hear it. Basically, God is Mm -hmm. like... No, I already, I, I already decided that you were destined to hell anyway, so I'm not even going to bother. Yeah. And maybe that's a way to, like, that. maybe that's a generalization that's not being fair to Reformed theologians, but that's that's the way I hear it. And that's mainly, like, whenever I have a conversation about open theism and determinism and all that, is like, that's that's why I like to make the distinction now, is, like, I get determinism if there is no God. 
Mm. <laughs> and maybe it just signals that I'm not one of the elect, but I don't want to worship a God that would like not just single out, but like choose a majority of human beings over the existence of our planet to go to hell just so that the salvation of the elect can even be more glorified somehow. That's the way I've heard it. Sure. Right. Well, I'm honestly not completely turned off by the double predestination thing from a moral standpoint anymore. Because I think that you could... Oh, tell me more. I don't actually know if too many people would argue for this, but I could totally see how you could believe in double prededestination, but also be an annihilationist. Like, you just believe oh, that you totally cease fair. to exist. Totally fair. Right? Mm. We should clarify... So it's not, like, really a moral thing. We should clarify, right. though. So, double predestination is that the first predestination is that there is elect. The second is that there are people going to hell. Right. Right. But even I, then, though, I still I don't, see it as such a weak view of God because, like, I just don't understand, like, why you would view it as like a power move by God to say that God can't save people if they mm. so choose. Or maybe that's the caveat. Maybe they would say, like, well, they would never choose. Exactly. Right. Yeah. They would never choose. And then, I mean, like, it starts sounding just like simulation theory at some point, right? <laughs> right. Totally. Um, yeah. Maybe that's the best way to describe God's sovereignty. <laughs> <laughs> this word just a simulation. Turns out Elon it's is the right. Theology we're, version of simulation. We're all, yeah. There you go. We nailed it. That's the end of the episode. Thanks, guys. <laughs> we figured it out. I was wrong. Let me tell you what. I'm a fan of any simulation that gives us the idea that we can tramp stamp Balaam smote his ass. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Even if that God is dangerous. <laughs> yes. Do you know what I mean, though, with like that conundrum? Like, it seems so similar to the whole, well, can God create a rock so heavy he can't pick it up? Like, I know I was joking about that earlier, but it seems so similar to me. And we all know it's a logical fallacy. Right. Okay. At the end of the day, like, what does it all matter? Like, it's really philosophical. I feel like this kind of theology tends to be the most abstract, like arguably the most removed from reality. Because like we mm. just go in our everyday lives, we have our own experiences, we make our own choices as best as we can comprehend. Mm. What meaningful difference does it actually make in our day-to-day -day life? Like does it make us more likely to blame our circumstances versus mm. our Taking personal decisions? Maybe. Yeah, or something else? I don't know. Maybe. Like do you guys see any meaningful differences depending on, what type of theology of sovereignty slash free will slash simulation theory we have. Mm. To me, I believe, of course I believe my own personal theology is the best one, but to me, <laughs> I believe that the, the open and relational Christian universalist God is most like the father in the prodigal son parable. And that that's the kind of God I want to, be in relationship with that's the kind of god i want to love like mm. the father in the parable did not know the son's future um maybe the son like turned it around but but also the father knew enough of his own flesh and blood's attitude that he's like this probably won't go well and he might die he might die among the pigs mm. right but i'm gonna i'm gonna respect that autonomy enough and be here with open arms and I will, uh, I won't chase him down. I will allow him enough time to turn around and realize that, you know, there is still love here. There's no resentment behind him left at home unless you're the older brother. And that's, 
that's the real question right there, right? But mm. as far as the father goes in the parable of the prodigal son, like I think that's the open and relational and universalist God that I have been learning to love more. Aw, mm. that's so nice. Emily, what do you think? I really like the question that you brought up just now, especially in regards to us as humans, as individuals, taking responsibility for our actions and not simply or having the opportunity, I guess, to blame circumstances or to say it's out of our hands. And what I like about that is what comes down to the base of that is just awareness, like a simple of awareness to even take responsibility or an awareness to say that there are outside factors that you don't have control over. Mm. Um, I think me personally growing up, it would be easy to want to blame circumstances and not take responsibility and to say, well, it's in God's hands. It's out of my hands. And to simply live by that. And that was not life giving for me because I realized that I was not allowing myself to actually be part of the narrative, even if it was Mm. a bad circumstance, Mm. you know, a sad situation. But I needed to be a part of it because I did I did experience it or I did live in that moment. And there are things that obviously like I can't take responsibility for because there's no way I would ever possibly know how something's going to react or what the outcome's going to be. But there are things I can take responsibility for in regards to how I influence situations. If I know saying something's going to set someone off or (laughs) knowing that if I do this, I could potentially get hurt. Like there's a great story. My mom's going to love hearing this when she listens. We were walking our shout out to Linda. We were walking our dog Rogue. This was when I was in like middle school and Steven has met Rogue. Rogue was a huge black wolf Malamute mix. She was monstrous, but she was so gentle. And I remember we were taking her for a walk and I was wearing rollerblades and I told my mom, I want to hold the leash and I want her to pull me around while we're walking. And my mom is like, Emily, this isn't going to go well. Like, just know this. And I was just agging her on. I was agging her on saying, I'll be fine. Like, I'm wearing knee pads and whatever, mom. Like, I'm a big girl. Let me do it. So she gives me the leash and I say, mush. And I shake the leash and Rogue just takes off running. And I biff it hardcore right face into the sidewalk and i'm crying and i'm like mom help me help me like i need a band-aid she goes you know where the house is go get a band-aid like i should have known that me being on rollerblades and me saying mush to a dog that is two times bigger than me was not going to end well but middle school emily didn't want to take ownership of how i influenced the situation and Older Emily, now hopefully a little bit wiser, would say it just comes down to awareness. It comes down to whether or not you want to be aware of God's presence and how God's presence can or maybe does or doesn't or whatever the case may be influence your life. And if you are open to that, and if you're not open to that, then... There's a lot of self-examination that needs to take place about, well, how do you handle taking responsibility and how are you aware of your own presence Mm. in your own life? Mm. 
should you have known that the dog was going to whoop your <laughs> like yes i should have i mean i really should have i've seen i've seen how she acts when she sees a bunny yes she's gentle but at the end of the day she's a dog sure like there are instincts there are animal instincts that you see a bunny you see a cat you see a bird you're gonna want to chase after it so when i antagonize her and i say mush there's an instinct that kicks in that says she wants me to go. I should have known that. I really should have. Like, if I really knew my dog, mm. I would have known better to not do that. Mm. Okay. I mean. Like, you have to know yourself, too. True. In that respect. But now you're bringing up instincts, which is like, back to my percentage question. Like, instincts might be like 90% of the way a dog behaves. But that's a dog. Any and I'm all not times. a dog. Well, but how much more complex does it get than with a human <laughs> with instincts? <laughs> Oh, man. Well, that's a good question, though, because there are, and I shouldn't say that there are because I really don't know this yet. I would say, I would say universally, <laughs> you would hope that there are instincts that are universal. But I'm just thinking, like, I'm getting ready to have a baby, but my instincts as a mother are not the same as someone else who's a mother. Like, my feeding schedule, like me bonding with my child one day is not going to be the same instinctually as someone else who had a baby. Mm. It's a very individual process. It's one of those that, like, yeah, I can't put a percentage on that, especially being a first time mom. I pff, Instincts? I have no f- clue. <laughs> like, <laughs> this, this, I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. Emily, what the but spicy takes right here. It's. It's something that you over time develop, but even then you're still not 100% certain because you really just don't know how it's going to impact. You have no idea, you know, breast is best. Okay, but for some women who can't breastfeed and they have to use formula or whatever, maybe that is what's best for them. And we just don't know what the outcome of that's going to be compared to someone who can breastfeed. Like, oh, my child's smarter because... They sucked on my nipple when they were a baby and your kid didn't know. Like, we can't ultimately determine how someone's going to be based on this one interaction from so long ago. It's, I, yeah, that's mine. There you go. <laughs> it's almost like you need a relational space. You do. Yeah. Yeah. And if, and the future might be open. Hmm. Exactly. Here's a question at the end that I still have rolling around. Let's go. Have you ever prayed that God would change someone's mind? Oh, yes, I have. No, my friend. Whoa, interesting. Not recently. Not ever. Well, Stephen, you reasonably could because you're an open theist. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Wait, that God would change someone else's mind? Yeah. Yeah. Like in a coercive way or just a persuasive no. way? Well, I'm. Semantic semantics. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> yes, you're an open theist. Like there's you like there's things that can be changed about the future. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So why not pray that God would change someone's mind? I definitely have before. I'm pretty sure that I have prayed. Um, I've definitely prayed for people to be raised from the dead, like specific people. I I'm pretty sure I've prayed for like specific people's salvation before, like handfuls of like faith healing prayers. I feel like those definitely fall under the umbrella of process theology because you believe that God is going to cause something to happen. Mm, right? Sure. I don't see how it can't be. Okay. I see what you're saying. Otherwise, you fall into like deism camp. Yeah. Where God can't. Oh, what do you mean? Oh, yeah. well, well, so like 
the founding fathers of America were famously deist, where like basically God starts the universe and then just like dusts his hands off and sits back and watches. We are the best reality TV for God. Right. That God does not interact at all anymore. I definitely don't pray for God to change people's minds anymore. And maybe that is because I think I do deeply believe that God respects our autonomy somehow. Mm-hmm. I don't exactly mm-hmm. know how, but I like my experience tells me. Well, put, let's put it this way. If that God, is the case. If God did not respect our autonomy in a meaningful way, then I should believe that I would be married to a different person today. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Same here. Mm-hmm. So proof is in the pudding at this point. There you go. <laughs> Unless I was but destined maybe I to also... believe that and then <laughs> set my sights on another girl in the high school. And <laughs> My favorite thing is to punch a Calvinist. And then when they start to get mad, you just say, whoa, whoa, whoa hey, hey, man, God made me do that. Okay. <laughs> wow. I do think that the reason that I believe like to not pray for God to change people's minds or to change circumstances anymore for that matter. I don't think I've really prayed for that in a long time. I think it maybe comes from, I think that I do deeply enmesh with that optimism that's found in Romans. Like God works all things together for good for those who love God. Mm-hmm. Like I think there's just like a part of me that really resonates with that. And for some reason deeply believes that. And maybe that's also why I don't feel the need yeah. to pray for that anymore. But actually I just thought of this verse too. I, I did find it to look it up. Um, this is, um, this might be a good one to end with, actually. Uh, this is Numbers 22.30. And the ass said unto Balaam, Am I not I thine ass, upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever wont to do so unto thee? And he said, Nay. That's, wow. That's the tramp stamp. Wow. That's the whole, that's, that's, what we, that's a wordy what we get. tattoo, my friend. The whole thing. <laughs> the whole thing, the whole gamut. In Hebrew. <laughs> oh, no, Greek. In, in the Greek. original King James Version Hebrew. No, do Greek because it's longer. <laughs> uh, is Greek longer than Hebrew, like in general? Well, yeah. <laughs> really? I love, no, <laughs> I love the idea of getting a tramp stamp in Hebrew and then like you have to get a tattoo just above it in really small English <laughs> letters that says like this is red right to left. <laughs> 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 like instructions on how to read your own tattoo. Okay. I don't know if you guys like saw the church trend where like all of the cool young adults were getting like Hebrew and Greek tattoos. Yeah. Hey, hey, yep. that's me. I'm wait, I'm that really? Person. I you didn't know that? What Josh? do you? What do no, you got? What's your tattoo? I have one in Greek and one in Hebrew. No, you do not. <laughs> yes, I do. What are they? Okay, so my Greek one is agape. You know unconditional love of course classic but the one in hebrew i actually got in the holy land it was the coolest thing ever and it's yahweh in hebrew also classic isn't that sacrilegious though like that's exactly why i did it okay yeah no just kidding that's not exactly why i did it but we're not supposed to pronounce i dig i've heard of worse okay though part of me really wants to get just like a ridiculous that would be really funny word in hebrew just get Balaam smote his ass in the Septuagint Greek. There you go. <laughs> you can just tell people it means John 3.16 or something. <laughs> same thing, right? It's the same Bible. It's all pointing to Jesus somehow. 
Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> if you believe the whole thing's true, why not? This is, okay, <laughs> Emily, it's very curious, though. Like, you, we could say, like, you hopped on that tattoo train of getting Greek and Hebrew when, like, the rest of Christian culture thought that was kind of cool. And in a way, that might feel like you were kind of determined to do so because you were born at a time where you could, like, legally consent to have a tattoo, buy a tattoo. Well, also, I I actually did it before, like, I don't really see it as, oh, I wanted to jump on the trend. I honestly wanted something, like, I'm one of those people that I really, truly think hard before I get a tattoo. I'm not just one to like, oh, I think that's a cool idea. Let's just do it. I'm one that I really sit with it. And these were both ones that I truly sat on and said, this is meaningful to me. I really feel moved to do this. And I did it. And whether or not it was trendy, I really could give two if it was. But even the idea (laughs) of you thinking it was the right choice was inevitable in some way. I don't know, because my mom was anti-tattoo, and my dad has tattoos, so I think it was just okay. You... having the freedom of, like, you could have... Because for a while, when I was young, I hated the ideas of tattoos. I hated needles. I hated, like, it. they just scared me. And then with my first tattoo, when my friend Luke died, I said, I wanted something to remember him by. I wanted something permanent. I wanted something that was consistent with me and something that was new and engaging and different. And I said, what better than to get over my fear of needles and get a tattoo? So that's what I did. So like in that sense, like I don't think it was predetermined because I don't believe that it was predetermined for my friend to die at such a young age. Now that's where you get me. Yeah, because that that's something that's acted on, acted upon someone else and not just mm-hmm. like an internal experience or thought process. Yeah. So Josh... That's why it doesn't matter. Thank you for asking, what does it matter by the end of the day? Turns out it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> Turns out it doesn't. It's all just Get whatever tattoos of, you want. all just a bunch of hoopla. Well, in that case, I'm going to choose to uh, wrap this episode up. Emily, do you have a word for us on the way out? Oh, whether you believe life is predetermined, whether you believe we have free will, free choice, is it our responsibility, is it not? There are so many questions that we can lift up, and these are questions that will stick with us to the end of time. And just know whether you're right or wrong, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> All right. I'm into it. Oh, dang it. That's I right. I forgot to plug the In2 podcast. I was going to mention that consent episode. <gasps> wow. Oh, actually, do you do you want to- Look at that. Should we just re-record the ending? Oh. (laughs) Because I think that would be an absolutely good choice to plug into. Yeah, we could. What if we just like, do we have anything else? No, I don't think we have any more announcements. Let's pretend, let's create Mm -hmm. an alternate future in which I didn't. (laughs) Wait, 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 what if we just keep this going? I think we absolutely should. Let's create an alternate future in which I said. We like predetermined the end of the episode to be back there. Yeah. But now look at this like future possibility that just opened up. Randomness is truly. (laughs) Yes. Maybe God wanted it to be like this the entire time. No, that's a very good. I loved this. I, Josh, I love the way, I mean, I, cause I can feel the ties to that, the recent Into podcast. We should say the Into podcast is the brand new show on the Highline Network of which Ravel yeah, is a founding member. Great. 
They are absolutely great. My childhood best friend, Alex Falcongrove. Mm, like, mm -hmm. he and I were best friends when we were three. And then we didn't talk for 20 years, and then we started talking again. And now we podcast together and do this whole network and stuff. But they had a fantastic episode. Josh, tell us about, what was it called? Press play to consent? Yeah. The whole reason we have predetermined this episode to be even longer uh, is that they just recently put out their beginning of their second season, and they started it with a two-hour-plus discussion on the whole concept of consent. They don't really get into theology a whole lot, although they did reference the Bible quite a bit, which I was really surprised about because they're not strictly a religious-y show. Right. But it was a great roundtable discussion on the whole idea of consent and like how we wrestle with that interpersonally and kind of at a society level. Mm -hmm. So I was like reminded of that like this entire time and I wanted to yeah. bring it up. I so had, I had echoes, echoes of their discussion on Jonah and like if Jonah actually ever consented to God using him as a prophet in the story. Ooh. Right. Or if God was just manipulating him or like stacking the deck in a way that Jonah wouldn't really have a choice. Oh, interesting. Very much, very, very, very much a factor in our conversation just now. So, yeah. In that light. Yeah, that was a great episode. Emily, do you have another, do you have another word for us? <laughs> God's grace, God's sovereignty, however you look at it. Just know that we are all questioning and we are all raveling this topic out together. And maybe it's predetermined for us to think one way. Maybe we have a choice to think what we want. But just know that this is something that we are all discovering together. And it's something that is truly beautiful to watch unfold. And Balaam smote his ass. The word of God for the people of God. <laughs> Why? I'm gonna get it like I'm gonna get it on the inside of my cheeks, like so you have to like spread it a little bit. And it just is oh, uh, funny. Oh my. <laughs> you too. I swear. Or actually, you know what would be really cool is like like one of those old school icons like from the Greek Orthodox. Yes. <laughs> it's the Carved into wood and clay and stuff. <laughs> Gold overlay. I, I can't. I can't. Is that sacrilegious? Did I just create sacrilegious art? <laughs> yes, you did, my friend. That is, you thought me getting a tattoo of Yahweh was sacrilegious? Um, no. Not at all. You cannot pronounce the name of our Lord or... <laughs> I got you way harder with that joke than I thought I was going to. <laughs> yeah, you did. Oh, my gosh. Okay, end of episode. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to No Normal People. I'm Steven. And I'm Dixie Lee. 
The internet didn't need another podcast interviewing the same famous authors, artists, and thought leaders. Dixie, my friend Bailey educated me about a word called sonder, and this is the realization that any stranger or passerby you see has a life equally complex, deep, and vibrant as your own. So join us every Tuesday as we talk to the normal people in our lives and hopefully inspire sonder in yours. No normal people. It's like Humans of New York, but a podcast and in Montana. Highline Media Network, normal people in normal places.